0: Welcome to the Equipping Podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's quite the presentation. (laughs) He got himself tickled and now he can't stop.
0: (laughs) (sighs) That was awesome. Hey, uh, today I am here with Corner Karen. (laughs) One last time. One last time. (laughs) Hey, hey, and also, I've just got to give a shout out to Mandy Fiegel, who's actually in the studio with us today, playing the whole producer hat role. Mm. When I was asking her for production notes, she was like, hey, I kind of like the idea of Corner Karen. And so she literally gave you that name. Mandy Fiegel, ladies and gentlemen.
1: I would say that I don't want to be in the corner, but most of the time I do.
0: Karen is an Enneagram 5, and Enneagram 5s typically like to just live in their head which most of the time in social settings means they go run, retreat to the corner.
1: Run away. (laughs) Or they don't show up at all. Or they don't show up (laughs) at all, yeah.
0: So corner Karen. I like it. Thank you. What's your favorite Karen nickname?
1: I will say the best one, the funniest one is closet Karen. Coronavirus Karen, I don't like her very much.
0: I think I like that one because it was so spontaneous. Like I literally was not thinking about it at all, and it just rolled off my tongue, and I... (laughs) I surprised myself. Yeah, I had a good laugh about that one.
1: But Corner Karen probably the most accurate. So yeah. way to go, Mandy.
0: I'm kind of an OG, so Curriculum Karen is that is probably my favorite.
1: That is the original,
0: and that was uh, Alyssa Cottrell. So shout out to Alyssa. Love that. Yeah. All right, what are we doing today?
1: I don't know, talking about me, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we're going to finish our conversation today with AJ on the Enneagram and how that relates to our spiritual formation. So we hope you all enjoy.
0: We're back this week with Dr. AJ Sherrill, who wrote the book, The Enneagram for Spiritual Formation, How Knowing Ourselves Can Make Us More Like Jesus, which is totally awesome. Just like the subtitle says, knowing ourselves can make us more like Jesus, I think we talked in the last episode about this common grace that God has given to us through the personality resource that is the Enneagram. And as we think through this idea of knowing ourselves, I thought of double knowledge. Augustine has been, it's been attributed to him that he said, hey, uh, Lord, help me know myself so that I may know you. Bernard of Clairvaux says, Know yourself and you will have a wholesome fear of God. Know God and you will also love God. You must avoid both types of ignorance because without fear and love, salvation is not possible. But Without knowledge of self, we have no knowledge of God. Julian of Norwich said, Our soul is so deeply grounded in God and so endlessly treasured that we cannot come to knowledge of it until we first have knowledge of God. We can never come to the full knowledge of God until we first clearly know our own soul. And then Calvin riffing off of them in the Institute says, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves are bound together by a mutual tie. So, we talked a lot about the Enneagram last time and how it's such a helpful tool for us to know ourselves. It's an exposing tool. And yet, we don't just know ourselves just to know ourselves, the ultimate end of all knowledge, is God himself. And so, A.J., as we start talking about, in this episode, the Enneagram for spiritual formation, why don't you unpack that idea of double knowledge and how knowing ourselves actually opens doors for a deeper knowledge of God?
2: Wow, way to start in the shallow end of the pool. <laughs> Holy smokes. Welcome to the Equipping pump. <laughs> it's hard to disagree with Bernard, and Julian, I mean, she's amazing. Yeah, there's a sense that I I'm weary of the conversation has moved so deeply into like true self sort of drivel. Hmm. It seems like so many people are so easily buying into like digging into the diamond of the soul and finding this amazing pearl. And and it is true that we are beloved. At the same time, I think the self knowledge that I have become aware of that's been helpful for me is things that sort of expose me before the holiness of God. Yeah, that's good. I think Isaiah 6 is a great example of that when, you know, here you have like a prominent prophet who I would guess was living a life in congruence with God's heart for the Jewish people. And yet when he has this sort of peelback back experience with God – It exposes him to a knowledge of himself that Mm -hmm. leads him to not claim any of those things, but to say, like, I'm unclean Mm -hmm. and I'm not even worthy to be sent out. And nevertheless, he's sent out. And so I think both of those things happen at the same time. Sometimes, you know, when you get a preview of yourself, it, it brings you into a longing for something greater than yourself that you can find identity in, which is God. But often when you experience the holiness of God, it reminds you of just how far we ourselves have to go. Mm -hmm. What I imagine you're saying is that there's a a sort of relationship between self-knowledge and knowledge of God that cooperate together, that we need them in order to interpret one another because we're not in a state of fullness of knowing. And so when we know in part some of God, it reveals some of us. And when we know in part ourselves, we can become aware of just how great and holy the God is that we've been called to serve.
0: Yeah. I think that that's ultimately what Augustine is getting at in his confessions. He's very much talking about how in the world can I know God, truly know God as he is, if I don't even know myself. I'm bringing so much stuff to the table that I'm unaware of that I've cast a mold and filled it with an image of myself that is at most incomplete or at least incomplete at most is full of defense mechanisms to hide from my own fallenness. And I think that that's the sense that I get from him is he's going, hey, the more that I'm aware of and know my own self, not in any kind of deification kind of way or narcissism, but truly to know, oh, this is me unfiltered. And this is where I think the spiritual formation part of it comes is, I don't think you can really receive the love of God in substantive, transformative ways until you know your own poverty and can be met there by the love of God. Because I think that that's where people are like, oh, wait, I'm vulnerable, I'm known, This is who I actually am. I'm I'm realizing that this is who I am, and God still loves me. Yeah. I think that that's what these guys are getting at.
1: Well, and even listening to y'all talk, my brain's kind of exploding, so it's a lot to consume. So if you're listening and you feel that way too, you're not alone. But I think one of the most helpful things about the Enneagram is— it's not necessarily that it exposed all of these brand new things that I never realized. Mm-hmm. It's that it put a lot of helpful language to things that I couldn't articulate. Yep. Would you all say that that's true?
2: Yeah, it's been true for my life. Yeah. It gives you handles.
1: Yeah, all of a sudden I was able to communicate in a way that was more clear with the community around me. I was able to communicate more clearly even with my husband. I was able to articulate some of why I was doing the things that I was doing And so it sharpened my knowledge of self in a lot of ways, mostly because of how it helped me communicate.
2: It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think when we talk about knowledge, there's a a few Greek words that are used for that that I think are important to understand if we're talking about self awareness and knowledge of self. Like there's an oida in the Greek, in the New Testament, it talks about sort of a a head knowledge or an awareness.
0: It's like no information.
2: Yes, that's right. And then there's a genosko, which is a relational knowing. And it seems to me like in, in the biblical script, God seems to be very much the the goal of all knowing is relational knowing. Mm -hmm. And so whatever information we get is always like a marker along the way of a deeper kind of knowing, which is intimate, which is full of relationality. I mean, we see it in Trinity. I mean, the center of our faith is a kind of knowing of father, son, and spirit. And we are invited into that dynamic in Christ. And so, you know, whatever self-knowledge we get out of this, it is in service Of grafting us more deeply into the relational knowing in which God wants to be with us, that God wants to covenant with us and to marry us. I mean, that's why marriage language, bridegroom language, it's used all over the scripture, because that's what God is doing with all creation. Mm -hmm.
0: That's really good, man. Reminds me of a book Esther Meek wrote called Loving to Know. It's a covenant epistemology And in that book, she says, you know, a lot of times we like to think about truth in some sort of platonic way that depersonalizes it. She said, actually, I think when you understand truth in an epistemic way, then you know that at the end of the day, the incarnation persons truth. Instead of depersonalizing truth and making it some abstract thing out there, it's actually Christianity and the incarnation of Jesus persons truth it brings the relational dynamic that is essential to what truth is and all-knowing to the table. And I think that that's so critical because the more we know ourselves, we know how we've been made, how we image God in all of these ways, then the more accurate we're going to be able to relate to this person who is truth. Karen, thoughts? (laughs)
1: I'm processing.
0: (laughs) So I know in your book, AJ, you talk a lot about practices and how each of the types can exercise these different things to work the type in a way that's conducive to encouraging and cultivating growth in their walk with the Lord. So why don't you talk a little bit about that, how these practices can encourage growth in each of the Enneagram types?
2: Um, There are things that we like to do in practices and all practices are an agreement of like space and time where we are going to show up with God in a certain way. So whether it's walking nature, whether it's reading the sacred scripture, whether it's contemplative prayer, whether it's singing, whatever all that is, that, that is a container by which we're saying, we want to invite the Holy spirit into that space. And we want to interact this way of knowing beyond Oida into Gnosko, into relational knowing Mm -hmm. with God. And so practices help us do that. The practice in itself is not the magic. It is the container by which we are saying, the way in which you wired me, God, there's a reason why I connect with music worship more than my spouse or a reason why when I am on a paddleboard, I just feel my soul sing versus reading a book on my porch, right? So I want to give space for people to be able to name that and to say that's true about me. And I think a lot of Christians grow up and there's basically like you go to church and you pray, whatever that means, as if there's one form of prayer. Um, <laughs> you sing some songs and maybe you give, and then in 30 years you hope to, you know, be different. Yeah. And I will say that most people after 30 years don't feel different; yeah. they just feel older and more tired. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We don't give space for imagination to say, okay, well, there are things in which God has wired me to experience God, and I should pursue those. You know, I I love how Andre Nouwen talks about it in the categories of solitude, community, in ministry. Mm-hmm. He patterns Jesus's day. He has time alone. He's constantly sneaking away for time alone with the father, but he's also constantly then coming into the life of the community and walking together with them. And then ministry just begins to leak out of him. He doesn't even have to try. I mean, people are grabbing the hem of his garment because they sense that there is a power on him. And I think that there's something to that of being honest, that when you create a rule of life, when you look at what is a life with God look like, I believe that these categories, these big overarching categories of we need times of solitude, we need times of community, and we need time in ministry, whatever that looks like in your workplace or whatever it is that that you give your life to the world to, those are the big categories. Now, how solitude looks is different for different people. What exactly community means might look differently for different people. Same thing with ministry. And so that's where spiritual practices come in to be really creative. And I think that's where things get really fun when it comes to helping Christians create a way in which they want to ensure that they're spending their life with God.
1: Man, it's just, you're so right. We lack so much creativity. And I wonder if it is just that we're tired or if it is that, I don't know, we just don't crave that. I don't know where that comes from, but I think you're completely right. And I do think it's draining to keep doing the same thing over and over again with zero fruit and expect to be changed at the end of it.
0: Yeah, well, we have, we're, we're formed in environments in our Christian subcultures that emphasize various practices, like the tradition that I was formed in and that largely we live in right now, right? Is very Bible centric. Knowledge gains a high premium on what we do and, and what we value. And so a lot of times you can say, well, like, well, but there are these other practices and you broaden it. And sometimes people, that can make them uncomfortable because they've been formed in an environment where there's really only like one, maybe two, maybe three practices that they really even know about. It's kind of like, hey, I'm in this one rut and I, that's all I know. And what I love about your book is you're like, no, based on your personality type, you are going to connect in unique ways to God because you're created uniquely. And that way, it's super helpful for each type to recognize how does my soul come alive?
2: Yeah. So here I think you need to be, we need to be careful because that for me, like what I articulated in in the conversation we're in, that sounds amazingly liberating. Because I think it is, but the underside of that is it can lead people to say, therefore, I'll just do what I like, right, right, good. right, yep. and we'll call that spiritual formation. Yeah. And my my <laughs> guess is that there were some things. My guess is that the disciples protested, yeah, for of sure. like Jesus, we're not doing that, yeah. and like <laughs> we, we prefer this. Yeah. And I just think that there were probably all sorts of opinions. So one of the things that I think that I need to always sign up for is being aware of how do I affirm the ways God has given me to invite the presence into my life that are life giving. And I call those downstream practices. It's it's like being on a lazy river. Like imagine you get on your raft and the current is just going to take you down naturally. There's no resistance. It's just enjoyment. Yes. Like for me, I present Enneagram three wing four. So like reading a book or like achieving a goal, all that is like right in my wheelhouse of like, yes, that's awesome. I feel alive when I'm doing that. And what's hard for me are what I call upstream practices, things that if you float in the river, you're gonna to have to dig in and paddle. Otherwise, you're not gonna to get to where you wanna go. Those things also have to be faced. So like I have a, another book on contemplative mm-hmm. prayer coming out next month because I'm so bad at it. <laughs> and I realized the reason I'm bad at it is because it doesn't procure the kinds of results that I want. It's not that I'm bad at it because I actually that's just not a way I connect with God. I'm bad at it because I want results and efficiency. And God is like, I just want you to park yourself for just a few minutes of the day and to know that I love you. You don't have to do anything. I just want you to be with me. And I just want you to ask open-ended questions like, are you happy with my life? <laughs> right? Like the, just the simplest things. So someone presenting three, like learning to sit quietly with God in solitude, that couldn't feel less significant for a three if you tried. And yet- It's the most significant part of my day. And I struggle with it every day. I struggle to believe that what God wants to do in me by me not doing anything is more significant than me doing everything for the rest of the day. And that's a really good practice for me because I get to remember that I'm not God and that I'm not in control. And that's part of my spiritual practice to help me be a better husband, a better father, to slow down and to listen better. All of those things because of spiritual practices that help challenge the process.
1: Man, that's so good. Do you happen to have all of those upstream practices for the numbers memorized off the top of your head?
2: Do you want me to give both an up and a downstream or just an up or a down?
1: All right, we'll give them the easy one too. Your listeners
2: must be, the endurance must be incredible. Okay. Well, let's start with the one. Ones, you need nature. It reminds you that life doesn't have to be perfect. You're trying to manufacture perfection so much in how you are wielding life. Nature reminds you, especially when you see that gnarly tree, God has made it good, even though it may not be symmetrical. The upstream for you is journaling, and that's really hard because you don't want to name things in your life that aren't going well. I would encourage you to journal, but to actually start where life is working for you. Um, When it comes to the two, hospitality obviously comes natural. I won't go into detail because that makes tons of sense probably. Centering prayer is really helpful, I think, for twos because very similar to threes, you need to know that we work from love, not for love. That's good. And Centering prayer is a discipline that will help you to be loved by God and to remind you that you are worthwhile even before you perform anything. Jesus was baptized and told he was beloved by the Father before he did any ministry in this world, and it's the same for you, that you are worth love. Um, For the three, it's anything that is achievement-oriented, Bible studies, reading, things of that nature make you feel alive The upstream for you is confession. The reason for that is because we try really hard to present a perfect, really put together life that is successful. And confession is that reminder to a trusted friend or a partner that you don't have it all together and it's okay. Someone can know. And so rehashing the ancient rite of confession, I think is really, really helpful for threes. For fours, solitude and journaling are downstream. Feasting for you is your upstream. Fours really graft to the melancholy of life. They're really good at being with people and lament. But feasting is sometimes really hard for fours, um, especially when you're not in the mood. So find yourself at every birthday party saying yes to and be the one that brings the champagne learn to feast well, never miss an Easter service. Cause it's really important for your personality type mm, mm, type good. fives, inductive Bible study. Obviously.
1: Obviously.
2: <laughs> yeah. There's Karen on that one. I write them. <laughs> she, she does write them. Do you, of course you do. <laughs> the upstream for you is service. Get out of your head, get into your body. I find often fives are like that bobblehead, you know, the Penny Hardaway bobblehead from back in the day that sat on the dashboard. They have filled so much knowledge in their heads. And it's really important for you to live out the Shema, the integrated way of following Jesus by getting into your bodies and getting into your emotions. So find things that are going to allow you to do that, to get dirty in faith by helping people with your bodies.
1: Can I trade mine for feasting?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you can. In fact, what, here's what I'd say. I'll just take a little halftime here. These are these are not prescriptive. These are descriptive. Totally. And something you said, Karen, I think is really helpful. Like We need to give ourselves permission to like freshen it up. These aren't practices that we say, okay, we do these things because we should do them. I just do two my whole life. There are times in our, our following Jesus where like our prayer life is stale or our Bible reading is stale. I think it's like really great news that, wait a second, there's like a million different ways in which I can invite the presence of God into my life. What I find that helpful is I take it season by season. So I'll give like three months to a few things and then I'll evaluate it like, hey, do I need to shift some things around and just kind of liven things up? So if you find great. anything in these practices for any type that just seem like, yeah, that's that's where I am right now. That would be really, really helpful. Then take it Love it for the six. Your downstream is Lexio Divina. I won't go into that here, but um, you can read it in the book as to why that matters and how that moves you away from fear and into a deeper prayer life. What's going to be important for a six is scripture memory. It's your upstream. You know, this is sort of a cliche at this point that there's like 365 verses about fearing not in the Bible. You should probably memorize 10 of them so that in the right time when you just want to shrink back into fear and into why you shouldn't, you can have the word of God hidden in your heart that would give you boldness and bravery in the midst of whatever it is that is
0: causing you to fear. Real quick, before you move to the seven, yeah, just for our audience. So he mentioned uh, Lectio Divina, which is a Latin phrase. And if you don't know what that is, that's just like a, a meditative way of using scripture To meditate on and interact with God, is that a fair representation?
2: Beautiful. It starts with scripture and it leaves us in silence and sends us into the day. It's a wonderful thing to do, um, particularly if you fear contemplative practices and oh no, what could happen and blah blah blah. So,
0: (laughs) I don't know. You might you might encounter God.
2: What? (laughs) (laughs) The seven. Your downstream is obvious. It's feasting. Your upstream is solitude and silence. The reason for that is because most sevens try to strategically plan their entire lives to avoid as much suffering as possible. So a lot of sevens avoid silence and slowing down just because what if I have to actually process that event that happened or my fears or my hesitations. And so it's easier to just kind of get onto the next thing and plan the next thing in the future, but it's really good in the present for sevens every day to plan a little bit of time where they're reflecting and being silent and still And just asking themselves questions about how they feel and what is true and what is God asking of you in this moment. For the eights, your downstream is causes. I go more into the book on that one. Your upstream is accountability group. I think it was Suzanne Stabile that said to me that eights might be known by 10 people, if that, throughout the course of their whole life. And I think that's probably a rounding up. Eights need to find people that can call them on their junk because they're assertive types that come off as aggressive and they're power types that they're not aware of how they show up in a room. And so it's really helpful for eights to have a couple people that can just say, hey, listen, the way you showed up, not cool. We need to talk about that. I know you didn't intend this, but here's how people are experiencing you, et cetera, et cetera. That's sort of a truncated form of an eight. So that's a generalization, but there's more to it than that. It's just good for eights to be known and to know that you're loved even despite Things not being fully realized in this life. Mm -hmm. The last is the type nine. Downstream is nature, similar to the one, but for different reasons. The upstream for you is fixed hour prayer. And this is because fixed hour prayer is a way of routinizing, maybe like at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or before you go to bed when you wake up and at your lunch break to pull back and just have like a few minutes of breath prayer or reading a Psalm because what it does is it realigns you with the kingdom of God, because for nines, it's easy for you because people put so much on you to get off task and priority about what matters most and who you are. And so fixed hour prayer is an ancient way of sort of checking back in to your identity so that you're living from that place and not just from other people's agendas on your life. That's just a quick run through. There's so much more, but there you go,
0: bro. I think this, this is so helpful because If you want to, go back and listen to the episode we did with Steve Porter on the spiritual disciplines. What AJ has just laid out for us with all these different personality types is there are things that we do bodily, and God has made us as material beings, and so this is a way that we embody the work of the Holy Spirit who's forming us into the image of Christ. And so some of the things are going to come easily to you, depending on your personality type. Like you said, the upstream stuff is going to—you're going to have to paddle a little bit. And what's really cool is as you practice these things, as you cultivate the ground, so to speak, the Holy Spirit is using these things, as we started off this episode talking about, to help you know, like, okay, I'm gaining a greater knowledge. I'm gaining a greater capacity for the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in my life. That's what He's doing in us, and— like Dallas Willard said, in order to grow, you have to be intentional. (laughs) You don't just like drift into holiness. There are things that we do. And I think, AJ, you've given a great summary and then obviously unpack it more in your book to help people think through this uh, regula fide or a rule of life, right, or rule of faith. One of the things you said that I thought was really important is you don't stick to the same script the whole time. Every few months, you reevaluate, shift some things around, try new practices. And so why don't you just share a little bit about what this has looked like in your own personal life?
2: Yeah, I'm an Anglican priest, and so I love the Book of Common Prayer. But in this season, I've given myself some – don't tell my bishop. (laughs) I've given myself some permission to have a little bit of a different reading plan in the morning. But honestly, the practice that's bringing me most life right now is paddleboarding. Mm -hmm. We live a block from the marshes that are connected to the oceans. And so I get to track the tides every day and sort of structure my life around high tide. And to get out on the paddleboard when the tides are up, the kinds of connections that I make with the Lord out there where I don't have my phone, there's nowhere to go. It's just paddling, digging deep, showing up and looking out. There is just like thin space to experience the kingdom of heaven on earth. And so that's been a, a really surprising practice that I didn't know moving here that I would, I would find so connecting with God's presence. And I think a lot of that is I spend a lot of time in my head and writing and reading. And so getting into my body has been really helpful for me to sort of have a more holistic approach to experiencing God's presence. And so that's been really great. I've seen that not as like a hobby, but like, Hey, Elena. Elena's my wife. Like, I'm going to go spend time with Jesus. And next thing she
0: knows, like, I'm holding my paddleboard, like, walking out, you <laughs> yeah, know? So it's just yeah. been really good. Maybe she'll start to think that Jesus is in the marshes.
2: <laughs> he is. That feels like the sequel to, like, Jesus in the margins.
0: Yeah, dude, that that may be a great book title for you, Jesus in yeah. the margins.
2: Or marshes. that may just be an alligator. It may not be Jesus, <laughs> but be careful.
1: Very awesome. different. I love it.
2: No, I, no, I'll say this. I'll say, I was, I was telling a friend about this today. There's a few things that I'm learning by paddle boarding and I won't get into that here. The thing that blew my mind yesterday is, you know, you're out there, you're paddling upstream, the wind is coming, you know, you're alone. There's marsh everywhere. There's green as far as the eye can see. And all of a sudden this great egret, which is this beautiful white bird emerges from the marsh right next to me and flies away and it was this moment where I know many of us feel when we're reading or when we're praying, or maybe with whatever you're doing in life, you just feel alone. We're tempted to think, is God really here? This is this really happening? And it was just this moment where I just felt like the Spirit speak to me yesterday of like, hey, you think often that there's no life around you, that you're the only one here. And let me just show you that you're not the only one here. Mm, that's good. And this egret just flies away. And I was like, oh my word, it's so beautiful that life emerges, even in the midst of us feeling alone. And I think that's the kingdom of God.
0: I love it. Makes me think of Elijah. He's like complaining. He's like, I'm the only one. And the little one's like, no, there's a whole bunch of other ones.
1: (laughs) It's just really encouraging to hear your own testimony of how this has been helpful to you and yeah. God designed us with great creativity. And so may we worship him with great creativity. Yeah. That's how he created us. Let's do it. Yeah. It's empowering.
0: Well, AJ, thank you so much for your time, brother. It's been a privilege to talk to you of these past couple episodes and just encourage everybody to go pick his book up, The Enneagram for Spiritual Formation. Actually, by the time this releases, your book will probably already have released. And uh, what's the title of your book on contemplative prayer?
2: Yeah, that one's called being with God, the absurdity, necessity, and neurology of contemplative prayer. So it's essentially a mashup of prayer, culture, and brain science. Nice. What happens when we pray and what does it mean to, especially in a moment where we're not as busy externally, maybe with COVID, but internally the noise um, and the stress and the anxiety has never been higher. So how do we actually strategically fight that spiritual battle?
0: Awesome. Well, you can find those uh, anywhere books are sold. And uh, AJ, man, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. God bless you and your ministry and your family.
2: Yeah, thanks. Grace and peace to y'all.
1: Thanks for listening to the Equipping Podcast. As always, give us the highest rating possible.
0: Mm, yes, as many stars.
1: It's probably five, but give us ten. Give us ten. Leave us a comment. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your churches. Tell mm-hmm. Jesus? Nah, mm-hmm. he already knows.
0: But you can talk to Jesus about it. You
1: can, or you can email us at Equipping Podcast. If
0: you talk to Jesus about it, you should email us.
1: At Equipping Bye. Peace.